Well, this week we're working again through a portion of Acts. And it's hard to believe that we have been 16 weeks into this series now. And there just have been some amazing things that we've been learning and seeing in the book itself. Um, from the beginning, we've said, you know, Acts 1, 8 is really meant to be the, the guide, the map for the whole book. And the verse says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, man, along the way, we have been, you know, reading all kinds of stories and meeting all kinds of people and going on different places and, you know, if you've gotten lost along the way, Acts 1.8 is meant to be this beacon of light, this clarifying verse about what God is doing through the early church. And, you know, this Sunday um, and the next one is primarily focusing on this idea. It's all focused around the idea of being a witness for Jesus. Um, Paul is going to be um, arrested and the rest of the book from this point on is essentially him being a witness before different government officials, different people, the religious leaders. And so our focus and our, our thinking is around this idea of what does it mean to be a witness? And really, honestly, there's, there's no place, there's no time, there's no topic or scenario where, where Jesus and you know, our being a witness for him can't come up. Often it doesn't come up because we have been, you know, well um, bred with this idea that we should keep our religious and beliefs to our personal selves. And there's a sacred and secular divide. So the things that are out in the world are, you know, for everybody and things that divide are things like religion or belief systems. And so, man, there's probably a lot of opportunities that we just haven't taken because um, we've been afraid or maybe we've thought this is not the time to be a witness. But there are so many opportunities that come before us. I can think of times where I've been just talking to people or, you know, I've been on, on the soccer pitch or um, been at different events. I think of a time where I was, and I know I've told this story before, where I was on a trip to Australia to do some mission work, and I sat next to a mainly deaf and a mainly drunk Australian, all right? So this, through my phone app, the notes app on my phone, we were typing back and forth and a conversation as he drank many, uh, one beer after another, and we were able to talk about uh, deeper things and even after the trip was done by email having conversations about um, God and, and ultimate reality questions and so the opportunities are before us and and in our text today we'll see that Paul's story is like amazing none of us have a story like Paul has and the the context for it is so unique but along the way there are unique lessons for us to grab a hold of. Kind of makes me think of, you know, when we go to California to visit uh, family, we often, if it's the summertime, we go to the boardwalk and there's all kinds of rides and there's fun things to do. And one of the things, one of the rides that we love the most is the merry-go-round. And it's, it's a fast, really large merry-go-round. And if you get one of the horses on the outside, you get that horse and it goes up and down as you're spinning around. And at one point, 
you know, on the circle, there are these little brass rings that you can grab a hold of. So you're, you're reaching out, you're trying to grab these things so that you can have some to throw into the mouth of a clown. All right. It's the boardwalk. That's how it goes. And this text kind of reminded me of that. It is fast moving. There's a lot that we're covering. You know, we're going from 21, 17, all the way to the end of 23. There's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of people. But along the way, we're going to grab three rings. We're going to grab three lessons that we can hang on to and we can learn from, uh, from this story of Paul's amazing journey. But before we grab those lessons, let's just kind of get caught up as to what is actually happening in the story. In the beginning here, verse 17, we see that Paul arrives back in Jerusalem. He's come from, you know, one of his missionary journeys. He arrives there and the believers are just super happy to see him. And yet there is, um, his name is known in the city and, and the Jews that are there and the believers, there's like kind of rumors going around that Paul has been around, you know, in Asia Minor and he's been telling Jews in these different places that they shouldn't follow Moses's teaching and that they shouldn't be circumcised anymore. So James and and the leaders there say, man, Paul, you are not in people's good books. And so maybe you can take a religious vow so that they see that you still value the Old Testament and that you're not against Jewish people in general. And so Paul actually goes with that and he tries that, but it doesn't work. You know, once they see him, um, later in chapter 21, when they see him in the temple, they there's rumors that he's been around with uh, a Gentile in the temple area. And so they grab him and they seize him. And it really turns up this huge ruckus and basically a riot. They start beating Paul. <clears throat> and the Roman uh, army comes and they try to quell this and they try to protect Paul. And so they grab him. And then it's at this point that Paul begins to, uh, and he asks if they can, if he can speak to them, if he can be a witness, if he can be, you know, give testimony to what God has done. And so it's at this point that we're going to kind of catch Paul's uh, message and glean some lessons from it. So the first ring that we're going to grab a hold of is in chapter 22 verses three through five. And that ring is that your story matters. Starting in verse three, it says this, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of us are, all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Your story matters. And Paul begins by telling his story. Now listen, the the word of God is clear that what is central for the universe, central to the word of God is that God is the centerpiece. God is to be glorified. So Our story is not the story of the universe. Our story is part of God's story. You know, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So God is the centerpiece of this this story and any story that really matters. But along the way, God uses us and God changes us. And so 
our story, our little story, it was one of millions and millions of stories, is used by God in our moments of witness before people. And so Paul begins by talking about his old purpose. So we just read there that he says, man, I used to be just like you. I was zealous. I was religious. He's looking out at the crowd of people and he's saying, honestly, I used to go after men and after women and my whole goal in life was to suppress them, to crush this new movement, you know, called the way and to either beat, intimidate or kill these people. Paul says, I know exactly what you're doing. I used to be you. I used to do what you were doing. But then he says, you know what? I have a new purpose, a new calling. And man, that's the same for all of us. Like all of us have um, things in our past that we probably wish we hadn't done. We have sin, you know, in our lives before we were believers. And, And even now as believers, we still have messes that we walk into and messes that we create on our own. And so as part of our witness to, to God's goodness and his glory, it is actually our story. It's the, the way that God has interacted with us and the way that he has changed us. And so Paul recounts the his old purpose in life. But then later in, in chapter 22, verse 14, he also tells them, I have a new purpose. And it's this It says, it talks about Ananias who came and he was a devout Jew and he gave the message to Paul and he said, this is verse 14, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. So Paul says, man, when I met Ananias and he he explained this to me, he gave me new purpose in life. And so you and I are called to do the same thing as witnesses. We are called to talk about the way that God has changed us, what he's saved us from and what he's saved us too. And and remember, Paul is, is not doing this like in front of a bunch of people that like him. This isn't like, you know, a nice TED talk that he's given. He is standing up in front of people who want to beat him. They would love to see him just killed right on the spot. And yet he's standing there telling them about his own weaknesses, telling them about the purposes that God has for him. He is standing and being a witness to the work of Christ before them. And so, man, when's the last time that you were able to be that kind of a witness for someone? To, to tell them about what God has done in your life, how he has changed you, so that they're actually thinking about not just the, the different kind of person you are, that's a part of it. I'm sure these guys were shocked looking at Paul at what he was saying, but getting people to think about, wow, this is a work that Jesus has done in this person's life. He is the real, you know, the writer of this story. And so we are able to do that when we tell our stories to people. The second ring that we see here in Paul's story is he carefully finds the line. What do I mean by that? All of us have lines that we have drawn in the sand. And uh, maybe you can even think of if you've had kids, you know, kids will when they say no to something, they're just like, 
Mm-mm, they are not going any further. And we as, as people, we do that. We have things, usually they're idols in our life that we cling to, that when truth comes up to it, um, we buck against those things and we can, we can only bend so far. So in, in chapter 22, again, he's telling his story. And then in verse 21, he comes to this point where he says, And he said to them, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. So the whole time they're listening to Paul's story, his personal testimony, all the good, the bad. They're like, whatever. Okay, Jesus is doing something in your life. Then when he comes to the point of, then I brought the word to the Gentiles. That's it. That is the line for them. And made me think of actually uh, a movie. I don't know if you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, but Fiddler on the Roof is this, you know, the main character, Tekla, is this guy who has five daughters. And the movie is all about these three of his daughters who are getting married. The first daughter wants to marry the man that she loves. He's a local tailor. And, and Tekla is like used to arranging and having a matchmaker. And so she comes and says, I don't want to be matched up. I want to marry this tailor. And so, you know, the whole drama with that, finally he says, okay, fine, you can marry him. The second daughter comes and there's another Jewish guy who's come in from the city and he's going to university. He's a bit of an intellectual or a revolutionary. And she says, I want to marry this revolutionary. And again, he's like, this is not how it works. He's an outsider. He's from the city. He's, he's different than us. And he bends and he bends and he says, okay, fine, uh, you can marry him. The third daughter comes and she says, I am in love with a Gentile, with a with a Russian, you know, peasant from the town here. And Tekle is like stunned by this. And he says, you can't marry outside of the Jewish faith. And so in, in the movie, he, he comes to the point where he says, I can bend only so far, but I can't bend anymore. And he rejects her pleas and he rejects her. And ultimately they are separated and and up till the end of the movie, they're basically, she is dead to him. And it it made me think of, this is the line that is drawn for the the Jewish religious leaders in this story here. When Paul gets to the point of the Gentiles being included in what God is doing, that is the wall. That is the line that they cannot cross. And all of us, us as believers and those that we witness to, we have different lines that we are drawing. And like I said, most of the time they are idols in our lives. And, and idols are often good things. So they might be like our family members or they might be our achievements. The thing, you know, our beauty or it might be the, the love that we have, the romance with someone or the work that we're doing. But they are good things that we turn into ultimate things. So idols are good things that we turn into ultimate things. And so when we become witnesses for what is truly ultimate, which is a relationship with God and and the truth of the gospel, it's going to butt up against people's idols and, and the lines that they have drawn. And so when that happens as witnesses, what is our calling? What is our response? Well, there's a lot of different responses that we could have, but I just... We only have time to just talk about one, and that is our calling is to a calling of love for other people. 
And so at this point, even in the story, when Paul is doing this um, on the timeline of you know history, he's actually writing or has just written the book of Romans. And in Romans, in sp specifically in chapter 9, where he's speaking to Jewish people, we see Paul's heart. He says there in verses 1 through 3, he says, man, I would... I would myself be, you know, put into hell basically for my own people if they would only come to know God as their savior. Paul's longing was not just to kind of crush them with ideas, not just to crush them with like, hey, God is doing this and get over it. But it was, man, I know this is a hard truth. I know this is difficult to swallow, that God is not just focused on the Jewish people, but that he has the whole world in mind. And Paul's, his first response is, just love towards them as they're processing these big questions. And so our calling as, as believers as well, as we witness to the truth of Christ, and as that butts up against idols and against different lines that people have drawn in the sand, our calling is to love. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. And so our calling is to definitely, we'll find that line when we're bringing truth to people and we're talking, we're a witness for Christ, but our calling is to respond back in patient love, which is usually going to look like a lot of listening, a lot of asking questions, and then pointing people to the person of Jesus. Our third and final ring is to be wise and thinking people, all right? To be a wise and thinking people, specifically to be wise and thinking Christians. In, in chapter 22, verse 25, uh, we see that Paul is kind of intelligently using the political system. So he's about to get whipped or flogged. And he says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Can you do this without a proper judgment? And they're like, whoa, no, we can't. Then in chapter 23, verse 7, he's with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he brings up this discussion of the uh, resurrection, and it creates like this massive division and debate, and they're not even thinking about Paul anymore. So with the religious people, he knows exactly how to handle them. And then later in 23, when there is a plot to kill him, his nephew finds out about it and tells Paul, and then Paul sends his nephew on to the authorities so that they can protect Paul and they end up taking Paul away to a different location. So Paul uses his intelligence in a moment to be a thinking person and actually to, to use that to protect his own life in most cases. And I don't know what, what you think of when you think of Christians. I know if you read different articles or if you read different books, you'll often hear that men Christians are um, laughable. They're not intellectual people. They're not very intelligent. They believe in fables. They believe in stories. I mean, they believe in crazy stuff. Even the things that we've been reading and studying in the book of Acts, um, people would say are, are laughable to believe that those things could be real. And you know what? Honestly, sometimes um, I think the critics are right. I mean, you look at what people say, say on Facebook or the different things that they um, are believing in and kind of makes you wonder like, man, do a lot of Christians have their brains on? 
And, and yet here we're encouraged and we see the example of Paul as a thinking, intelligent person who's able to, with wisdom, say the right thing at the right time. And the Word of God itself, the Bible, um, over and over and over again tells us to be thinking people. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20 says this, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And in 2 Timothy 2, this is the, it's the last epistle that Paul writes. In 2 Timothy 2, 7, Paul is writing to Timothy and, and all the things that he in, instructed Timothy as, as a pastor and an elder, he says, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Man, Paul's saying, Timothy, think about these things. Be a thinking leader. Be a thinking person. Do not turn off your brain to the reality of truth and, and just what God can, can do as you, as you learn from the world and as you learn from the Word of God. You know, um, Ravi Zacharias uh, wrote an article, the late Ravi Zacharias, in just helping us as believers to grow to be thinking people. And um, he wrote this article called The Dying Art of Thinking. And in it, he talked about three ways that we can grow as believers to be thinking people. And I, I just thought that was really practical and helpful. The first one he says is to study God's word. So he says, nothing ranks higher for mental discipline than a planned and systematic study of God's word. So man, for believers to know what God, the creator has said, to know the word of God is crucial and so regular time of study and reading of the Word of God is key to us understanding even how the world works. But even for people who aren't believers or people who are questioning, maybe they're, they're Christians, but they're questioning the Bible itself. I mean, there is no other book in the history of the world that has been so uh, influential and has shaped culture and has shaped societies than the Bible. And so why would you not study a book that has been so influential and world-shaping. So whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, the Word of God is key. And, and to read it and to study it will help us grow our minds. The second is this, to read great books. So great writers and great books will stimulate our mind and will also get us thinking about things that are even beyond the topic of the book. They will exercise our brains. And so reading great books, books that actually get us thinking and uh, get us um, wondering about the world, uh, that's a huge um, step forward in becoming just an intelligent, thinking Christian. And then the third one is to challenge the mind. Uh, Ravi quotes Aldous Huxley who says this, most of one's life is one prolonged effort to prevent thinking. That's, that's pretty good, and I think that's the case today. Most of the things that we do in life, we do to distract ourselves. So whether it's you know social media like Instagram or Twitter, or whether it's watching Netflix or Disney Plus, all these things are, you know, we sit back and we just take it in, and especially if it's something like Twitter, we just take it in in little tiny bits and bites, and so, to be a thinking person actually takes discipline, actually takes sitting down 
and you know grabbing a book or grabbing the word of god and reading sentences and paragraphs and books chapters to to get us thinking and understanding deeper concepts and so Paul's example is one of a witness whose mind is lit, whose mind is aware of what's going on, and he's a thinking believer. So as witnesses, as we see in the text here, as Paul is is going through all kinds of different conversations, our calling is not to get everything right, is not to have all the answers, not to have every experience, not to be able to answer every question, but is to witness to a person, to the person of Jesus Christ. In Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, he tells this little story and it says this, a man once said to a pastor that he would be happy to believe in Christianity if the cleric could only give him a watertight argument for its truth. And the pastor replied, what if God hasn't given us a watertight argument, but rather a watertight person? And this is our calling as witnesses, is that we are pointing people not to just an idea, not to a point, not to a religious system, but we're pointing people to a person. And so as believers, as as we witness to people, we really were trusting that God is going to be faithful, that he's going to do the heavy lifting of work in people's lives. And our calling, man, don't miss this, our calling is simply to be a witness to the person of Jesus Christ.